It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I'm talking car insurance. If you haven't seen an increase in your rate, you got to be ready for one coming. And later, there's been a lot of news about some companies requiring workers to come back to the office. Elon Musk always seems to create waves, and he really did about coming back to the office. Well, that's generally not working out so well for the employers that have been ordering people back. The landscape, I believe, has changed for probably a generation or more. Let's talk car insurance. So if you needed one other thing to be a problem in the vehicle market with trying to buy a a newer used vehicle and the prices being so inflated and going to fill up that vehicle and it being so expensive to fill it up, you can add to the list what's happening with car insurance. So auto insurers are not the bad guy here. I know it'd be great to just say, hey, the auto insurers are just ripping everybody off. That's not what's going on when you get your notice of pretty hefty premium increases from so many different auto insurers. So we got multiple things all at once. One, we seem to have collectively all lost our minds on the road. I mean, who has not seen that people are driving significantly worse they just are and a lot more uh, aggressiveness recklessness behind the wheel Uh, one thing i've noticed a lot more red light running and it it's just an accident waiting to happen and so the the number of injury accidents the number of fatalities going up Ironically enough, at a time that road design is the safest it's ever been and vehicles are designed with more accident avoidance technology than they've ever had, more stuff to try to keep you safe, you know, uninjured or reduce the severity of injuries in an accident. And still the injury and accident rate and fatality rates going up on the road. And that is all about you and me and how we're driving. It's something that happened. It came about so ironically from the early phase of the pandemic when people were not on the road. Traffic counts reduced quite a bit, and people suddenly had these wide open spaces to just drive like they were a NASCAR driver. And people developed new bad habits that they've continued with even though traffic is back. And so I don't know how that changes, how we get people back to driving more reasonably, responsibly, and less aggressively. But a consequence of that is the absolute number of claims up a lot. Then you add the cost of repairing the vehicles up a lot because of the part shortages that have affected the automobile manufacturers, which has been the third factor when a vehicle is totaled, what the insurer is having to pay for that totaled vehicle is way, 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 way up because the average cost of a used vehicle went up 70% 
because of the shortage of new vehicles, because of the manufacturing disruptions and the chip shortages. So pile on, pile on, pile on. All these things came together to create a perfect storm of costs for auto insurers and then in turn, ultimately for you and me. So what do you do about it? Well, I've always talked about the advantage of shopping your auto insurance. Make sure you're getting quotes for the same coverages as you have now, if those coverages make sense, and seeing what other insurers feel you should cost. And even in a situation of rising prices for auto insurance, there are enormous differences in how various insurers treat different driver profiles. So that's why you shop. The other thing is that you may have your insurance coverages wrong. You may not have high enough deductibles. Having higher deductibles means you become the partner of the auto insurer. And when you're a partner with them, you're less likely to file claims. They then in turn calculate the risk is lower of you being a claimant. Your premiums overall go down. Now, if you have an auto loan, your lender may require a certain level of deductible. And you got to make sure you don't violate that. But otherwise, that is one way you can lower the cost of your insurance because you should never be making small auto claims anyway because that puts a really ugly mark there that follows you for a number of years, typically depending on the state you live in, three to five years. And Krista, you have been how long without any claim in your family for auto? I would knock on wood. The last one would have been mine when someone sideswiped me, so it's been like two years, I guess. So for me, two months. Oof. Did you know that? I did know that. I forget the parking garage incident. Yeah, my daughter ran into uh, uh, one of those posts. Those posts don't move. I know. You know, and some buildings, they're very hard to avoid in the parking garages. I mean, they're. I totally empathize with her. So I was going to pay for it out of my pocket because the original estimate from the body shop, I was like, yeah, I'll pay for it. And so it's not a reported thing and then the initial estimate turned out to be way wrong Mm -hmm. and then it became an insurance claim so i'm waiting for the other shoe to drop on that yep all right well i have a question about car insurance actually this is from katie she says i've read that it's recommended to shop insurance every three years to get the best rates i've had my insurance with usaa for 15 years they're consistently rated the best is it still advisable to shop and possibly change carriers in this case Also, we just paid off our mortgage. We carry high liability insurance on our homeowners and auto policies. Do you feel an umbrella policy is warranted? So let's deal with the second thing first. If you own your home free and clear, you have other assets in your life. It's like you've got a bullseye target on you for a lawyer to come after you. Uh, You know, for something that they claim you did, your fault, whatever. And so... When you develop a lot of what are referred to as uncovered assets, meaning there's no debt against them, you've had good fortune or good habits to be able to save substantial money, you own the home free and clear, having an umbrella policy, which is an excess liability policy, is a great idea. They tend to be relatively inexpensive for what you get. For a couple hundred bucks, you get a million dollars 
of liability coverage. And each million after that costs less than the prior million. So that is a good idea when you do own your home free and clear, which roughly one in three Americans do. On the auto insurance, uh, I'm with USAA, you're with Amica, Mm -hmm. the two highest rated auto insurers in the United States for how they treat claims and non-claim events. And so it's really hard to follow the advice I give about shopping your auto insurance every three years because it will generate lower premiums, but you'd be giving up the safe harbor of being with one of the two best auto insurers in the United States, being with USAA. So in your case, Katie, if the premiums are affordable for you, I think you stay with USAA because you are with the best. It's a great safe harbor for you to be with for your auto insurance. And this is from Carly in Georgia. She says, I would like to store my COVID vaccination card digitally on my phone's wallet. Is there a safe way to do that? My daughter suggested using GoGetDoc, but I do not love that they require me to upload a photo of my driver's license. Isn't that a bit risky with the prevalence of identity theft these days? Hoping you have a good solution. Um, Carla, pretty much all the apps, the state-provided ones, the local ones, the third-party ones, all require the driver's license. I think universally they require the driver's license because of the fact people wanting to verify that the card they're seeing is for the person they're looking at. And if it's on your phone, hopefully your phone is password protected or protected by your face or your fingerprint. So I'm not that worried about somebody snatching your driver's license information that way. Uh, In the United States, we made a decision not to have a national recognized vaccine card, which is something virtually everywhere else in the world did. We went a different route in the U.S. Some states have their own vax card app, and then there are various private ones. The one you mentioned, GoGetDoc, is one that's been very popular. Uh, People who have Clear for airport security, Clear has one. Trying to think who else. There are a number of these out there and using one of them I think is great. If you used CVS or Walgreens to get your vaccines, they have a digital record of your vaccines that is one that is a recognized record of your vaccine regardless of what state in the U.S. you live in, even if your state doesn't have any kind of vaccine app. If you did it at one of the two major overpriced drugstore chains, you have the ability to have to the source proof. In the case of CVS, there's one of those QR codes that opens up the information to fully verify that you are fully vaxxed. And from Brad in Colorado, I paid off my home two years ago and then started using credit cards for day-to-day purchases. My credit report shows that my credit history is only two years. It does not reflect that I paid a mortgage without any late payments. It shows nothing about me having one. Is there anything I can do? Brad, that is abnormal. Your existing prior credit history, even though it no longer ages and no longer current credit, generally would reflect on a credit report and in a credit score as part of your aged history. And 
I'm very curious about that. I don't know if you've set up a Credit Karma account, but I'd love for you to look and see what it shows is your average age of accounts on that will be your TransUnion and Equifax that you'll be able to see. Um, But that is distressing to me. Now, even though you only have the two years, use credit cards and you're paying them as agreed, I'm gathering, you should still have a really solid, decent credit score. Particularly if you keep your, what's known as your credit card utilization below 10%, that will give a significant booster shot to your credit score. That doesn't mean that you pay your balances in full. That doesn't take your utilization to zero. It's based on what your billing statement shows as the amount you owe for that monthly cycle. Um, One of the ways you can manipulate your score higher is to monitor your charges online, pay your bill before the closing date, and then that drives your utilization rate even lower. So does he go back to the bank, though, about the mortgage? About the mortgage not reporting? The most recent bank? if it Yeah, it's really odd that yeah. the mortgage would not be re- reporting. I mean, That's why, Brad, I want you to look, look at, the others. at the others, see if this is a problem with whichever credit bureau report you're looking at that doesn't reflect the history, your prior credit history, and see if either of the others do. I actually don't know what you would do in that case. But Brad, if you find that your prior history is not reflecting on any of your reports, let us know that and we'll do digging and find out is there any way to get your prior history to be counted because your prior history is your history and it's part of the aging of your accounts. And so I'm really puzzled. So coming up ahead, where do you work? Are you in a job that you have been working at home and there's this dance going on with employers trying to get you back to the office? How's that going? We're going to talk about that. At our company, we used to have a system where people worked in person Monday through Thursday and worked from home on Friday. And it was something that we've done for years and years and years. And so then when the pandemic happened, we went to all remote work. And it wasn't a heavy lift because people were already used to 20% of the time collaborating with each other, each from their own home or if they were on a trip somewhere doing that. And it was a very simple process for us. There are a lot of people who work in jobs that if you're not at the workplace, you're not working. You think about anybody who works in construction or manufacturing or delivery or anything like that, you have been out and about doing your job on location just like before. But people who work in office-type environments have had this privilege that came about because of the tragic circumstances of COVID, that it was a full reset. And a lot of employers hate people working remotely and couldn't wait till they could order people back to the office. And even just in the last couple of weeks, as I mentioned earlier, Elon Musk did his thing where he said, Everybody's got to come back to the office at SpaceX and at Tesla or you're fired. 
And you're going to be there full time. And full time in our company is not the number of hours you work, but 40 of those hours, you're going to be in that office. Now, the other hours past 40, you can be anywhere you want. But those 40 hours at minimum, you're going to be at the office or else you're out. How's that going to work for you, Elon? Probably not so good. And the truth is employers overwhelmingly thought, even you go back to last year, surveys showed They thought, okay, now we're going to order everybody back to the office in September. I remember last summer, September was when they were going to do it. And then I think it was the Delta variant that happened of COVID. And so that scrubbed all the back to office things. And now we're more than two years out from when people who could and had that privilege of being able to work remotely went home lives have changed they're not coming back i mean there's there's a lot of good and bad in not being in the office uh the bad is that i believe in my heart and soul that if there's people in the office and you're not required to be in your home you'll ultimately get passed over for promotion that people tend to get promoted uh, people that are visible in person will tend to be valued more at a workplace than people who work remotely just because we're human beings and even if we don't mean to that's how we process things it takes real thought to make sure you don't do that but the advantages people have had working from home enormous there's also a generation gap here older more authoritarian-minded management types are very much into having their thumb on people and seeing them right there and knowing they're actually working right at that moment. And for them, the older authoritarian, mostly executive suite kind of people who are the older types, they just hate this work-at-home thing. Um, But they're going to have to adjust. Because if you want to keep people and keep them happy, you've got to be flexible. I think the core idea is fine, that you have uh, core days that people need to be together. But no way is there any need or reason for it to be five days a week. Five days a week in an office kind of environment, to me, just seems like, again, that's being inflexible and not responding to the wants of the workers that have mobility now. They don't have to be under your thumb. They can say, I'm going somewhere else where they actually let me work how I want and the schedule I want. And I think this is like a generational kind of thing. It's going to go on for a good while. And I think about uh, my nephew who works for a company in Arizona, used to live in Central Florida, now lives north of Seattle, and he's had the same job all the time. And when he needs to come for a meeting, he goes to Arizona for a meeting, and then he goes back to where he lives. To me, that if a job lends itself to it, people should be able to do that. Now, we ended up in my company, 
giving up our office space at the end of 20. And we kept thinking, oh, well, soon we'll all be back together. And then we did an employee survey. Krista, how many people wanted to come back to the office full time? Zero. It was absolutely (laughs) zero. We did not have a single person who wanted to come back when we surveyed. And and I was like, that's it. We're giving notice to our landlord because we were at that point on a 90-day rotating thing instead of a long lease anymore. And so we gave them the notice Mm -hmm. and we've never looked back. What have we lost as a company? Chris is the COO of Clark Howard Inc. What have we lost in your mind, if anything, not having people face to face? I mean, I think we have, like you said, since we already had work from home in place um, and it works really well for our employees to work from home. And there's a lot of collaboration online and um, Zoom meetings. And we also already had people out of state. We haven't lost much. I do think it's nice to get together and we're trying to do more regular optional in office time and get togethers. Um, So that collaboration is great. But, you know, in our case, it works really well. So I don't think we've lost much of anything. I miss seeing everyone, but. (laughs) But I'd say we've gained something as well, because one of the things that's happened, we now have employees or contractors in states all over the country. I don't even know how many states Mm -hmm. we have people working in now. Right. We do. And it's great. And luckily we can fly them in to see everybody in person once in a while. And usually want to meet someone and and see them sometimes. And since you take us on a staff trip every year too, that was especially, it actually added a lot to it, I think, this year because we were able to meet people in person we'd never even met who worked for the company. And it was just tons of fun. That was funny when we we did our um, staff trip into January, early February. And all these people who had known each other just over Google Meets or Zoom Suddenly, they were like a real human being. They weren't a disembodied digital image that they got to be around. I also remember before this all happened, an executive at another company was talking to me about how we did the Fridays from home. And she said to me, how does that work? How can you even make sure people are working? She was horrified. And now I know that she has a lot of people working from home and she had to work from home for so long. So it really changed the world. So Elon Musk... I know you're a brilliant guy. You're a visionary guy. You're smarter than all the rest of us put together. But on this one, you're being really thick-headed. Maybe he needs to invent software that you know where people's holograms are together and they can collaborate. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's so smart. I feel or he like just he could puts do that. them in one of his tunnel things. Uh, yeah. What are those tubes called? He's he does tunnels and he came hyperloop. Oh yeah. He just put them in the hyperloop and they'll be across the country in four seconds or whatever. All right, we'll go to some questions. This is from Ryan in Ohio. I have a Roth IRA with a popular robo-advisor and I'm considering moving my funds into a Fidelity Roth for the lower fees. My main hesitation is about losing the automatic tax loss harvesting offered by the robo-advisor. How much value does TLH bring for long-term investing and is this something I should be concerned about losing? So you don't need it in a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA is completely tax-free. So the the gains, losses, you don't have to worry about any of them. If you're talking about rebalancing, automatic rebalancing, that's a different thing. Is that if the with the robo, what they're doing is they're automatically saying, okay, your target is really to have this much in big company stocks and this much in small company stocks, this much in 
domestic bonds this much in international, blah, 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 and they automatically rebalance, that is a whole different purpose to make sure that you're staying into the mix of investments you should have. But with Fidelity, if you were to go into their index version of the target retirement fund, the target retirement fund by its nature automatically is doing continual rebalancing. Since you don't have to worry about uh, tax loss harvesting at all anyway, is since it is a Roth IRA, and you're happy with the idea of the automated thing and the expenses being basically a third of what you're paying right now, then I think you're fine moving the Roth IRA to Fidelity. On the other hand, with an investment account, you know, one that's a taxable and regular investment account, having the tax loss harvesting automatically done for you is really a wonderful thing. This is from Catherine in Michigan. Valued at around $9,000, my wedding engagement ring is covered under our Mika home insurance policy. There's no deductible if something were to happen to it. However, it would count against the policy if we were to file a claim. We have our normal home deductible set at $15,000. Is it even worth it to have the ring insurance? Not in your case, Catherine, because the ring is invaluable, right? It's got sentimental value and the diamond has a value that puts it roughly at 9000 But you live your life where you can self-insure for something at your home up to 15000 The cost of the ring is just a little more than half of what you have your home deductible set at. So you just self-insure for that ring and know that it's going to be not only the sentimental loss, but the dollar loss. But the dollar loss is much less than what you're already willing to accept as a deductible on your home. And this is just a fun one I threw in here from Nathan in Missouri. On a recent episode, I heard Clark say his birthday was the same as mine, June 20th. When I got home, I asked my wife, guess who has the same birthday as me? She asked me who, and I excitedly replied, Clark Howard. She paused, looked at me, and said, you guys are twin nerds. I've never been more proud. Thanks for all the hard work and help you and your staff provide. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, and Nathan, since we talked about it, I've had two people stop me and say, hey, I have the same Aww. birthday as you do. So I'm so lucky. Nathan's so lucky. All of us who have June 20th as our birthday, we are so lucky because it's like the day of the year with the greatest amount of Longest daylight day of the in the Northern Hemisphere. And some years it might be the 21st, but I'm always claiming it on the 20th. And I just love daylight. And I go into full gloom and doom six months from now when it's deep, dark winter. Oh, I don't get the whole winter thing. So it is a double gift that my mom gave me, giving me life and giving me the longest day of the year. And I hope that we gave you a gift of some great knowledge today on our podcast if you ever have something that is a problem you don't know how to solve you have a question about something you don't know where to get an answer you can trust know that for just short of 30 years we've offered one-on-one free advice and all you do to see how to get that free advice how to contact us go to clark.com slash cac 